and welcome to the Very Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast all about board games, board games, board games, and the people who love board games. And I'm joined today by someone who does love board games. It's Ava Foxford. Hi. I still love board games, even after all this time. Yeah. Like, I asked you last week and you did, and you still do now. What gives? Yeah. It's kind of weird that you ask me that every week, really, considering, like, the relationship we've got here and the role that we're doing. Like, I don't know. I would warn you. I would tell you. I think I would tell you if I stopped it's loving just, board games. You've got to check in. Yeah. You've got to check yeah, in. Yeah, you've got just to tap people in. on the shoulder every now and then going, do you hate this? Do you hate, <laughs> do you hate what we're doing? <laughs> you know, it's important to ask. Yeah. And yeah, this week we've got a bit of an exciting redux for you in the fact that we recorded a podcast at PAX Unplugged last year. Uh, didn't come together in terms of a podcast, so now we are coming back at it once more in a kind of weird redux where we're going to talk about some of the games that we talked about during that show in probably a different way and that's cool and that's fine and it means if you were at the show you got a really exclusive early prototype edition of that podcast yeah or alternatively this is like a director's cut except you only get the deleted scenes yeah it's Uh, gonna have quite a different energy that podcast was recorded in front of about 500 600 people and we were rambly and trying to explain abstract games and doing it not terribly well whereas today we'll be rambly and not doing a terribly good job but i'm reclining on a sofa rather than uh, excitably waving around in front of hundreds of people oh i'm jealous i'm in an office chair and you've got a bloody sofa i'm, I'm using someone else's podcast studio and it's designed oh. for multiple people but there's just me in it which means i've gone full chaise long style oh. so doctor yeah uh I'll, I'll let me tell you about my weird dream i had about the games we're going to talk about <laughs> today on the podcast we're going to be talking about Sauschaf. It's a set collection game about spicy, spicy chilies and making hot sauce. It's German. We had to get a translated version of the rules, and it might be one of my favorite card games. It's just going to put that out there as a real special treat, and no one was playing it. We're going to be talking about psychic pizza deliverers go to the ghost town. I've only played this once. Ava's played this multiple times, and at least one of the times that she played it, she played it with uh, the rules being wrong because I was running the game. And I ran it wrong. And then finally, I'm just going to be really briefly talking about a game called Shark, which is not available in a modern print edition, but is widely available online if you're willing to buy copies from, you know, ancient history, 80s, 70s, etc. 70s might not be correct. Anyway, let's storm on with this slightly mashed up and rehashed tin of spam of a podcast. So first of all, should we talk a little bit first about psychic pizza deliverers go to the ghost town? Yeah, let's give this a ride. Because like the live show version of this did actually end up just being uh, Tom getting really angry with you about the fact that you got the rules so very wrong in really fundamental ways. Yeah. That still created a game, just a game that was incredibly difficult and yes. that Tom was convinced that the only reason it was so difficult was because you were lying, which you were. Yes. But I wasn't. You were wrong. He did. Yeah, he did. You know, he made some fundamental mistakes there. He was I was making a game way harder than it should have been. It's a light family game about hidden movement. But everyone's movement is hidden from themselves. Basically, you've got one person who's kind of the map lord, right? I was sitting and I had vision of the map of this town where the psychic pizza deliverers were going to have to go around and avoid ghosts and find pizzas and then deliver the correct pizza to the correct house. 
but everyone else was just drawing a little map, trying to work out what the heck was going on and moving around an unknown grid. Yeah, and it's this kind of like almost Minesweeper, but everyone's playing Minesweeper in the same place and you don't explode and lose completely. You just hit a ghost and then have to punch it next turn, which is what you should do if you see a ghost. Um, but yeah, because of the way that this is structured, one player is just literally running the game. So if one player has misunderstood the rules, then the game will be played wrong and this will not be in any way perceptible apart from Tom getting incredibly angry. Um, to be or, fair, he yeah. was very grumpy at the time anyway because it was quite late and arguably he wanted to go to bed. And I hadn't forced him to stay up. He had decided to stay up, but maybe he shouldn't have stayed up. I, however, was also exhausted and because of that, I basically taught the game wrong, was running it wrong. <laughs> And I, I, I did say at the time, I feel confident enough in my own abilities as somebody who understands games and why they work and why they don't. That if I'd been playing it, I would have been going, there's something fundamentally wrong with this. You, there's something wrong here. This is not the correct way to play the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I wasn't playing it, I wasn't getting that feedback and I didn't realise just quite how frighteningly hard I was making at it whilst making it worse by repeatedly saying, this is a game for children, you know, like <laughs> while they were all having a terrible time so effectively people say what they want to try and do and it's as simple as i'm going to try and move north or i'm going to try and punch east the only thing you want to punch is a ghost i promise and then you get feedback based on what's happened based on either going yep woo you scared a ghost away or boo you cannot move that way because there is a ghost however I was supposed to be giving them more information about when they were hitting the edges of the map, etc. And I was giving them kind of nothing and they were playing pure minesweeper hellscape. With yeah, words. like the fen there's fences. There's fences throughout the thing and there's fences at the edge of the map. So eventually you build up a grid in front of you and you've got a little thing for drawing this on. But you do start to build up something that like looks like a pattern. However, Matt was making it so that you knew how many fences there were, which like, yeah. is... Is technically, I think that there's a logic a puzzle there that's doable, but it is yeah, there not is. the game it's that this horrible. game was built for. And it was horrible and, and long and cruel. Yeah. I found it hilarious. The reason we're focusing on Tom being annoyed about this is because I just thought the whole thing was absolutely hilarious. Um, I think we can all agree. I think we can all agree now, without Tom being here, that it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> particularly because one of the mechanics in this game is there are teleporter pads. And it instructs you in the manual that when a player steps onto a teleporter, you go, and you're like, you have teleported. And you don't give them any information other than that. It's just like, you are now, that map that you've been drawing in front of you, you're now somewhere else. And the point at which you will connect that up, back up to where you are, you may never work out how it connects <laughs> to where you are now. But until then, you basically are starting a new map until you can work out how to combine those two maps together. And then I guess redraw or add on a thing anyway you it, add that to the recipe of minesweeper style like well there's four walls around you somewhere and now oh by the way now you're somewhere completely different you have to start again from scratch and yes the the, the mood in the room was starting to sour i'll be honest <laughs> which is not what you want when you crack out a party game so this is yeah. more of a psa if you're playing a game where one person is running it and they're not engaging with the game if all the players seem kind of like they're having a bad time maybe just read the manual again and check that you've <laughs> not got all of the rules completely wrong <laughs> I will say though that like playing the game properly first of all it's so much easier second of all um it feels like a, a a silly game experience that can be done quite quickly 
uh, which is quite handy. Third rule, portals are still really incredibly annoying, but they, they also give you a little payoff a few turns later where you work out how it joins to the rest of the map. And like, I think people are really, really satisfied by that. Um, yes. And there was, there was, this looks like a sort of thing where like, I usually would not be interested in this kind of game. It looks very light, very silly, kind of throwaway, maybe a little bit on the kind of like kooky side of, it's not very good, but look, it's wacky. You know, the word deliverer, admittedly, the word deliverer, I'm in on that, right? That's just on the right side of being odd. I love it. <laughs> the fact that the but title of the game some... is literally Psychic Pizza Deliverer is, it's not that, but Psychic Pizza Deliverer is, is go to the ghost town. No, it's the oh, correct it word. Deliverers? It is just deliverer. Which is a normal word, oh, yeah. and you can and was, incapable yeah. of not adding an extra "ra" into there, and we're constantly convinced I, that it was yeah. on the box, even though it isn't. But like that is a yeah. strong pitch for a game, and this game does deliver that pitch, but it doesn't bl- deliver anything beyond that. Maybe apart from being like no, an I, adorable I so. object, um, a cute little it experience, is. and like something you can do with your friends that can go catastrophically wrong. For the same reasons that it can just be something that you can play with like very, very low effort because only one person needs to know the game for it to be able to function. Um, yes. So... And I mean, I think I think really I've learned that that weekend I must have just been extremely tired because mm. I was unable to read the words on the box, let alone uh, read the manual properly. Um, there were a couple of things about it, which I think were some some real red flags, though, like the manual not very good. Mm. Uh, some of the rules were actually on the reference cards, but not in the manual, which is unusual to say the least um so i i kind of had some excuse for getting a few things wrong but yes once you got it going it was a very fun thing to run for people because there are a couple of rules that kind of unfold as you play that are best like not explained to people just things happen and now this happens yeah um quite a lot of fun it's a good way of annoying people even at the best of times and there was a variant in it that i just thought oh oh that's a lovely bit of game design in the fact that one of the variants which I think is essential, adds a, a pig and I, th- I believe a cat. Yeah. And basically cat. you just put, you put the pig and the cat somewhere on the map. And then when a player moves into a space that has a pig or a cat in it, you give them the rest of the information as normal about what's happened. But then at some point during it, you just make, you're instructed by the manual to just make the noise of a pig or a cat. That's do your best impression. And that is really lovely for a number of reasons, partially because a lot of the stuff in the manual is saying, at this point, you should respond, boo, there is a ghost, which doing it verbatim is always funny. But when you just suddenly go, oink, 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 I can't do a big impression, or I won't. We'll work that one out later. later. Um, it meant that there was a triangulation factor where people could suddenly go, ah, okay, like, that means you're near me. Or like, you know, and it gave you the opportunity to be trying to work out more of the map by listening to what other people were doing and triangulating with these animals and it has a a rule of the manual i think that says you're allowed to look at other players maps at any time so long as it doesn't slow the game down (laughs) which is a really lovely lovely caveat of being like you could really play this really smartly and be like that's the cat which means i can look at their map really quickly and i've just added a huge chunk to my map that's really fun um i don't think it's anything special but i do think it's a really fun uh, experience to have a yeah. punt at it's a nice cozy little activity um that some people will probably really like and they, and i think there's the odd family or group of people who will just be like oh yeah that's great that's exactly what we want that's the same the right level of simple very simple logic puzzle and a bit of uh performing and silliness that is enjoyable 
it is it, it's not great it's not going to change the world um it's just cute it is it's a cute little fun thing it's got ghosts and pizzas it's worth a it's worth a look if you're a family if you are a family have a look Next up, we want to talk about Salschaf, a German game that is a German name that I'm probably pronouncing wrong and that I'm probably about to teach wrong because it is very, very precise in that way that leads to a really, really lovely game that I really can't wait to play again. It's very good. Very good. The aim of the game is to buy hot sauce jars by putting the right mix of chilies in them they're all the same type of chili so you're collecting to get as many sets as possible of the same thing this is a race the first person to get a certain number of these chili sauce hot points will win the game you have a little bit of time to catch up with them maybe but probably not and so everything is going to be incredibly precise now, before this, there's a kind of setup phase where you're not even making the chilies, you're just acquiring chilies. But the second phase is the same as the first phase, so that's a little bit odd. So, before you start the game, you're going to make up this shop of cards and you're going to have six different chilies available to be grabbing from the shop. But then every time you draw out a number, if that number is already in the shop of six types, then it gets added, creating a little stack of up to three cards before a new section in that shop is created, which means you might have a selection of things where you can go, well, there's one five, there's one four, there's two tens, and then there's three sevens. And based on that, you're then gonna be bidding with cards from your hand, going around in a circle of players, bidding and showing what you're dropping in order to work out the order of taking things from this shop so on certain rounds you'll want to be playing big sets of cards because it's the the biggest sets of cards that's going to win the bidding order of who gets to grab stuff what first and then the numbers on the cards are the tiebreaker so if i put down three sevens and ava puts down three tens the three tens are going to get first pick of what's in the shop now so far pretty simple but where this gets spicy oh i see what you did there is see what i did there is you start with cards at the start of the game but the majority of what you're doing is getting cards from this shop that are then being put into your discard pile right and whenever you're playing cards to to buy things from this shop you can also choose to put those cards into your discard pile as well but it's optional you can choose to be like you know i'm going to spend these two threes i'm going to take those two sevens and then those two threes i don't want them i'm going to actually just put them to one side they're not going into my discard pile because your discard pile is actually your pot of chilies that you're going to be using to make the chili sauce so it's you know my brain keeps saying that this is a bit like um for sale you know the, the bidding game of of two halves where you're you're having a sequence of mini auctions that then define the nature of the auctions in the second half of the game and it's not quite the same as that but there's definitely a hint of that yeah and my brain goes straight to biblios with this and like this idea of there's a phase that is yeah. like setting up what currencies you're going to have for bidding in a later auction so one of the nice things here is that fundamentally the rules for the first part and the second part are mostly the same so you're not having to reteach the game you're just adding in this extra element of actually acquiring these hot sources exactly and in the second phase of the game, you're actually, you can still do the, the stuff from the first half of, of playing sets of chilies in order to continue buying things from the shop. Because making these chili sauces, which are these tokens on the other side of the, the kind of, not even a board, the setup, um, you need big sets. So to get like, you know, you might need four cards of the same type or for some of the bigger scoring ones, you know, seven or eight. Um, and so that 
is crucial in terms of having awareness of what other people are buying up like if you're trying to collect loads of 11s but someone else is clearly snaffling up loads of 11s maybe don't bother you know it's there's an interesting bit of basic psychology going on the table of realizing who you're competing with and basing your bids on that because the fact that the bids aren't all simultaneous i believe if i got that wrong i apologize but i'm pretty sure it was a one at a person at a time going around yeah it meant that you had a sense of like what do i need to beat this person like i don't think ava wants the same chilies as me i think they're going to take those two fours so i can actually chuck something lower in i don't need to be first and having those little mini guesses was really satisfying all the way through the game there's also a weird bit of psychology in that um when you are bidding it's the number of cards that is important not the number on the cards so like i'm bidding three cards that's always better than two of yours even if your card your chilies are of a higher value than mine it's only a tiebreaker when you have to worry about the number cascading and thinking about that which means that if you instinctively as i did assume that all of the most expensive chilies are by far the best and start hoarding 13s and if there's two people at the table doing that then you've suddenly just tilted the game so that anyone who's collecting twos is just going to do great because there's going to be loads of twos and actually just having a huge amount of one number it could be absolutely brilliant because you would just be milling through it and putting it straight into hot sauce and bidding exactly what you want to do but normally you don't have that much control and you've got these painful choices about what you're going to keep in hand, what you're going to throw away, because this is the key is it's not just that the ones that you're putting <laughs> in the pot for later are for later. It's that you can decide how many times you dip back into that pot and you are punished for having anything left over at the very, very, very end of the yep. game. And this. Yep. This is delightful and like a really like unusual bit of hand management that like ended up with me getting incredibly annoyed at you about the fact that you were absolutely right that there are elements of this game about making chilies that is just simple set collection and numbers and auction type thing <laughs> that is surprisingly like Gloomhaven. <laughs> I'd forgotten about oh, that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, when we were playing it, I was like, you know what this is like? And obviously neither of you guessed that I said Gloomhaven. And you, you were so angry that I, about you were like, you're so right. And that's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um but no, it is. It is like Gloomhaven, amazingly, because of the fact that yeah, we we've hidden the most important thing is that you win the game when you've made a certain number of jars of chili sauce and you don't have any cards left in hand like so you have to like have this incredible careful through line of of milling stuff collecting sets and then knowing when to stop building these sets because you feel like you have exactly enough to bid and grab all of the hot sauces you need to to end the game and that like racing line curve running through the game was just absolutely fabulous of it being like your deck of cards is a timer and it's like you need to make sure that like you make it powerful enough to be able to like buy up all the stuff and beat other people but not so powerful that you had all of this stuff and then you've got all these chilies left over and oh no it's going to take you forever to get rid of all of them and yeah i i really really was impressed by this card game and i got really annoyed when we <laughs> back some like because everyone was sitting down to play stuff that looked far glitzier and more beautifully production and this has got kind of that like um that slightly shonky cartoon vegetable vibe it's kind of bonanza-y in a way it looks it looks quite dated if i'm honest um but as a piece of design um absolutely absolutely killer and i mean i i there was another rule as well that involved the fact that 
when you were you, at any point you could do something to like take back your discard and add your discard pile to your hand when you were like got yourself into a pickle but then if at any point like the end of the round if you had no cards in hand then you just picked it up and it was something about that was just like absolutely incredibly satisfying where you could plan out your moves in just a way that you think okay i'm gonna buy those two sevens that's the last of those cards which means i pick up my entire deck and now i have those two sevens added to my collection of sevens and immediately i've got that buying power mm. it was just so like that that like unbelievable satisfaction of having taken a corner absolutely perfectly yeah uh, it's uh, just and that's, sublime and that's it the whole game has got that kind of precision that means that you are constantly looking at this and for, for the bare minimum of rules to produce the effect you've got a very very clever little puzzle that you're solving all of the time satisfying little moments of drama and enough looking at each other and thinking about what each other's do that you feels like you're playing a solid and exciting card game um yeah it's hot Hot! South Shaft, can we have an English one soon? Cheers. Bye. Finally, on today's pod, we've got a game called Shark. Now, Shark, as I said, is not available in modern editions, but I think it was big enough back in the day that you can grab old copies of it. And it's, to be honest, one of those games where if you do grab a copy from a slightly different era, I think it only adds to the charm of what it is. Having said that, if anyone wants to make a modern version of it and bring it out again, it's great. So this is a game that's purely about stocks and shares and jumping on bandwagons and failing to get off bandwagons and being crushed to death by those bandwagons. And I loved it. I have a love-hate relationship with games that involve stocks and shares. I really, really loved like City of the Big Shoulders, which we reviewed, where it was pure business, business decisions, commodities, and taking control of things. Whereas I really want to love like the traditional kind of like train games, things like Irish Gage, where you're, you know, invest in my train company, invest in my train company. But the thing about those games is that usually it ends up being that like, oh, I invested in this train line and it just didn't really ever get built, which is sad, right? But it's not as good as I invested in this train line and the entire train line was demolished and now I have to pay for all of the shares that I bought and I'm bankrupt. Oh no. And without having any kind of complexity to this whatsoever shark really just embodies that idea in a game that quite honestly is pretty much just everyone taking it in turns to roll two dice you've got this grid in front of you and on this grid you've got four different kind of segments in the corner of one two three four and then you've got a central section with a big shark fin on it where is the shark section you've also got four different types of color of building that you can place these little kind of skyscrapers that represent business and money stuff and shares so you roll these two dice and then you have to put down a, a color of building on a type of space with both dices having the option of a, a wild so you can choose any color you want or you can choose any location you want at the start of the game it's pretty sparse there's nothing there so you can just put things wherever you want and you might try and start to build clusters of the same colors of buildings why because obviously as i said you can spend money to buy shares in those companies and so you might think okay we're going to build a little cluster of red buildings up and then for every cluster more than two buildings so every cluster of like three or four and as they grow you're going to be bumping up the share price of that company which means that whenever you anyone rolls though that company they're going to get the cash level of the shares at the moment but also it means if you want to sell your shares in the future you might buy five shares for three thousand each example and then after some 
little enclaves of red buildings have appeared on the board, or one whopping uh, collection has appeared, that might be worth 20000 a pop, and you can sell them back and make loads of money. And that is kind of almost the entire game. But... <laughs> There's, there's something I haven't mentioned, isn't there, Oh, Ava? my God. Like, I'm just, like, dreading this. Like, the moment you said, like, a big whopping cluster of buildings, a bit of my brain, like, clenched <laughs> in fear. Yeah. So it's, it's like, uh, if anyone's played Tigris and Euphrates, which is a game I love where, effectively, at the bottom of all of the complexities and rules, it's a game of, I've built a big impenetrable city, I, it's mine, I control it, and then you've left a tiny back door open through which somebody places a tile next to it, and suddenly uh, the entire thing flips over and now it's their city. That is basically this, but just in pure nonsense and business terms. If at any point you have two clusters of buildings touch each other, like orthogonally, then you simply look at which one has the most buildings and the one that has the most buildings, the other type of building, just all of that section just gets wiped off the board. It's just removed, which means, you know, you could have, for example, six blue buildings and a lovely big cluster, and then someone connects it up to a cluster of nine red buildings. And those blue buildings, buildings are just taken, just taken off the board, which is going to knock down the share price immediately and Ava what happens if the share price goes down below zero goes off the bottom of the board uh, I oh wait actually I can't remember what happens if it goes off the board if it goes to zero oh it just do, do they all die do you no you have to pay for it oh god yeah it happened oh, to you yeah. and you must have blanked it out of your memory oh, yeah, no, which I is lovely that. I knew that there was a way in this game what I remembered was that there was a way in this game where you, something could happen and you would suddenly not have anything and it would feel horrible, <laughs> but actually also not. Because everything is like gained through random chance and stupid silliness. And because you know you are going to be getting something every turn, it doesn't feel as mean. Like, this game has all of the meanness without necessarily as much of the, like, ah, of a game like this, which is actually... So I was talking about, like, clenching with fear there, but also... I've never felt so okay to be reset to zero and have just wasted half an hour of my life in a board game. <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you. Well, it, 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 it felt like you'd get knocked down to zero and then it'd be like, oh, okay, well, actually now those shares are worth this much less than what you paid for them and also you now have to pay this much yeah. or whatever so it means you'd have to like you'd have to be selling your stocks in other buildings perhaps and yeah a few times in the game a few people went straight back to zero where they had to just give everything back to the bank because yeah. they couldn't afford the debts they now had because their shares had just gone completely out yeah it is also like resetting what thread you're allowed to take because i think that that's part of it is that like once you're committed into a share like the fear of selling it or knowing whether you can sell it at the right time that's almost more nerve-wracking like knowing that if you cash out it'll be fine but there is vulnerabilities on the board and you don't know whether people actually care about that or they're getting ready to cash out that you can feel a little bit like you've got to be doing something and then when you get that reset it's almost a relief that like you don't have to start worrying about that and you can now pick a new strategy you can now pick something else to do which is still just guessing which number is going to get rolled up with the little added wrinkle of like this geography on the board is kind of hard to read but like also it really is there it's very very clear like bright colors like little building blocks made out of duplo that you just stick together to try and kill each other and 
you don't know what die you're going to get. So you'd never know what you're going to have control over in a way that is absolutely absurd, really, because it's just... It's tremendously, it's it's tremendously unfair in a way that is very funny. Like yeah. we had rounds where I kept rolling dice that meant like I already had so much money and the person before me had rolled and they, they got no money and they couldn't do anything. It was like, yeah, if you can't place anything there, then that's your turn. Next person's turn. So they rolled the dice and their turn was, you don't get anything and you don't, that's it. Next person. I rolled the dice. Immediately got to do something quite good. But just because I rolled red, I got 20 grand just because <laughs> red was high yeah it's just silly like it's not like you know it's one of those things where in modern game design standards there's lots of things about it that I just think oh that's yeah i don't know about that but I, what i loved about it and i think the reason it really flew was the fact that like none of us if it had been set up that like i was the owner of the red company for example like and that was locked in like i was the ceo or whatever i think it would have been tremendously frustrating yeah but the fact that none of us were wedded to any of these companies meant it was the silliness of like you know just fluttering all over the place of being like yeah greens and you having someone across the table where like every time the green one goes up you've both got shares and you're both like yeah until one person's got more than the other and then they're like oh you get more than i do and then suddenly you turn around and you're the only person with green shares now and no one else cares about it and actually everyone else actively wants to tank it and it's like oh no oh no and working out if you can sell it all before that happens yeah uh delightful especially when you've just got Um, no idea when that's going to happen because like you've got this geographical game where you're trying to link up things to make them bigger except a you might just be rolling something that you actually want to hurt you can't put a building in a place that will actually make the company just die like there's a self self-preservation instinct that yeah. kicks in yeah but you still might be wanting to make something be in a bad place but where you can go in the first place is determined by a die roll so you've got limited options and you may still end up helping something that you want to hurt or just hiding it in a corner where you know it's going to get eaten but then if it gets really lucky maybe it will build its way out of the corner or something else will get eaten and it's just it's silly it's bright and it is quite fun I think it's joyful. I loved it. Um, there was another game we played, which was Turbo Silly Businessness, uh, called I'm the Boss. Uh, we're not going to go into that on this time. It may be revisited again. Uh, Tom Brewster absolutely adored it. Yeah. He also partially turned into a monster when we <laughs> played it in a way which uh, was sometimes successful and sometimes not. But that game is another level of uh, of of whatever it is. I don't know. Like Shark, I got on with. I'm the Boss. I found... I couldn't do it. I couldn't understand what I was playing. It actually made me, like, I, I don't, I can't explain how I feel about it. It's just odd. Yeah. Really odd. Yeah. It, I don't know if I want to do it. It's quite good and clever and there's interesting negotiation in it. And, like, also it's hilarious and stupid and brutal. This is just silly and brutal in a way that is, like, this is a, this is putting all four of you into the middle of a slot machine. Shark actually just just like this is not just a slot machine you are now a slot machine welcome to spinning wheels of fruit and what might go up or down and ruin people's lives but it doesn't actually matter in here because this is just a game it's okay i couldn't have said it better myself it's just a game don't worry about it it's just a game it'll be okay so that was shark and of course if you missed many of the other games we talk about today or psychic pizza deliverers go to the ghost town and saushaf which is spelt s-a-u-s C-H-A-R-F. Definitely check some or all of those games out, and I would be amazed if I'm the boss does not make some sort of secret return at some point with Brewster, because... 
that man became obsessed. He is the boss. He really, really am the boss. It really was. He really was the boss. And a boss that was terrifying. A boss that I really wouldn't want to work for. Note to self. And that's it for the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast once again for another week. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, I've been Matt Lees and Ava has been Ava Foxford. Have. Bye. Bye. Bye.